This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in today. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. You're likely familiar with the expression, all is vanity, or that phrase that's used a lot in this book of the Bible in particular, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. And sometimes that phrase is rendered as everything is meaningless or everything is futile. And it's used about 38 times in Ecclesiastes. That's that's more than all other Old Testament books combined. Uh, so the main point, or at least one of the main points of Ecclesiastes, is not that life itself has no purpose or that life itself is meaningless, but rather what Ecclesiastes helps us understand is that a life lived apart from God has no purpose or meaning. And so it's a play on both the literal and the metaphorical meaning of the Hebrew word hevel. That's what Solomon is saying when he says vanity of vanities. He's saying hevel, hevel, everything is is hevel. And that word literally means vapor or breath. It makes me think of James 4, 14, where James says, what is your life but a vapor? You appear for a little while and then you're you're gone. And I think that ties into the point that Solomon wants to make, that life is short, life is brief. It is mysterious in some ways, like smoke or, or vapor. And he's reminding us of the temporary and fleeting nature of, of life. I think as well as its futility, again, when when life is lived apart from, from God. And it's unstable, it's unpredictable, bad things happen to good people. And Solomon is wrestling with all of this in Ecclesiastes. He's showing us how we navigate through life, make sense of it, and causing us to understand when you try to when you try to navigate and make sense of life without God, it's like chasing after the wind. Verse fourteen of chapter one, and so one by one, Solomon is going to deconstruct all the things that people try to find or use to create meaning and purpose in life, like uh, wealth. You know that's that's the be all end all for most, if not not all, people in the world that try to live a life apart from God is I'm just going to accrue as much money or as, or as many things and possessions as I can. And Solomon tears that apart. And he does the same thing with pleasure and uh, power, position, status, you know, all, all of these things. And so he just one by one takes those things apart and kind of paints, paints us into a corner to show us and prove to us that all people need the Lord, need ultimately his guidance and counsel and love to have and understand what their their purpose in this world is. And that ultimately forces us into his conclusion or helps us to see his conclusion in Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen, the end of the book, that the whole duty of man, he says, what's the conclusion of the matter? The whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. And so that's what we're going to be thinking about and getting into today. Um, but first, we want to understand a little bit about the, the structure of the book itself when 
Um, it, it begins in, in verse one. There's this word that the called the coalet or the teacher or the preacher. And, and the speaker is identifying himself as a son of David. If you look there in Ecclesiastes one and verse one, and it's likely Solomon. I've used his name already. And that's, it's not critical, but what is critical, I think to understand is that he's identifying himself as the teacher preacher. And one of the first things he draws our attention to is the march of time. He says in verse three, that generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever on a literal sense. But sometimes Hebrew writers would use forever just to mean a long time instead of the literal sense of eternity. And so he talks about things like the rising and the setting of the sun, the ebb and flow of the tides the flow of rivers. And he's observing all of these things which continue regardless of what people are doing, regardless of man's pursuits. If you look at verses three through eight. And what he's doing is he's illustrating just how little our individual lives affect the cycle of everything. Eventually, we will pass from this life and all things will continue just as they were, all the things that he's describing. He says in verse 9, that which has been is that which will be and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. And I think he's talking about not just the things in the immediate context of you know the cycles of nature but also i think history itself and human history um regardless of again human pursuits whether that be new technologies or civilizations that rise and fall ultimately human nature is fundamentally unchanged and so no matter what you know quote new things we introduce into the world you know computers and airplanes and whatever the case may be time marches on it eventually erases all of us, and history is cyclical uh, because, again, human nature is unchanged. Verse 11, there will be for them no remembrance of those things that come later still. And so right out of the gates, he's, again, illustrating, I think, showing us that we have precious little time here as people to find our meaning and, and purpose and things it's it's sobering to think about you know all the things that we observe and experience in this life from a, a natural sense and the things that we learn in, in in school about how the world works is just you know that's the way it's always been it, and before we ever got here and that's how it'll be long after we we leave we leave our bodies and so ecclesiastes has this powerful ability to remind us of uh, of of this and help us to keep our our perspective and one of the things that you'll notice as you move through Ecclesiastes is that, you know, it's a lot of times it's called dark or de- a depressing book. And I, you know, I would, I guess I object to that, that, uh, that description or that characterization of it. I, I can understand why people think of it that way. And I myself thought of it that way. But as you move through Ecclesiastes, one of the things that Solomon does is he frequently reminds us of the inevitability of death almost in every chapter. And you think like, and you begin to think, is he ever going to shut up about this? Is he ever going to stop talking about it? This is, this is sad. This is depressing. I don't want to think about this. But what he's doing is he, he's, again, that's, that's all there for a reason, right? The Holy Spirit is deliberate about the topics and, and even the very specific words that he chooses. He's, he's wanting us to, He's wanting to impress that upon us because it's so important. And he wants us to be sobered up by this, this reality and have it ever before us. 
And it's not that I think that it, I think that Ecclesiastes is sometimes mischaracterized as a, as a dark and depressing book because it it talks about death so much. Um, there's other reasons too, but I think that's one of the main ones. But I think also that given that the scripture is breathed out by God and for our benefit and and to make us complete for every good work, that this is the the attitude that Ecclesiastes is engendering is is ultimately for our good. And so in other words, what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, it talks a lot about death, but that's ultimately for my benefit and yours to be continually reminded that the dust will return to the earth as it was. The spirit will return to God who gave it. Whether you're rich, poor, young, old, whatever you do in life, eventually everyone, everybody without exception is going to face that outcome. And so you have to live and act accordingly. You will return to God who gave you life. Ecclesiastes 12.5, a man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. And so the preacher spends the entire book discussing the purpose of life given these realities. The passing of time, the inevitability of, of death. And he teaches us how we should view in the course of that discussion, he teaches us how we should view wealth and family and work and pleasures and, and even the randomness of life itself in light of what he's learned, in light of what he's learned. Verses 12 and 13, if you look in chapter 1 again, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. Right, so we know Solomon was blessed with wisdom unlike any other person in, in human history. And he also had tremendous wealth, unlike, uh, unlike you know, beyond comparison, probably to most people in history, if not not all. And so he had he was in a position, in other words, to have so many things at his fingertips, um just you know, whatever he wanted in terms of pleasure, in terms of entertainment, in terms of all these things he's gonna talk about. And so even now in um, intangible things, you know, from a uh, from an intellectual pursuit or an intellectual standpoint, he, he talks about that, too. Just knowledge for the sake of knowledge. If you can keep reading in verse 16, he says, I have magnified and increased in wisdom more than all who were in Jerusalem before me. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And even that he finds ultimately unsatisfying. As, as a as the meaning and purpose of life verses 17 and 18 I realize that this is also striving after the wind because in much wisdom there is much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain now he's not saying you know as we continue through the book you're going to see he's like the rest of the scripture he places a premium on uh, wisdom and gaining wisdom but what he's saying here is that there's no not that there isn't any value in wisdom, but that there is no value in pursuing wisdom as an end in and of itself. There's no value in pursuing knowledge as an end in and of itself, right? If you if you want just to merely explain things and understand how the world works, it's all well and good, but ultimately it's going to leave you unsatisfied um, as as to your again your meaning and your purpose in life here, uh, because the ultimate purpose of Pursuing biblical knowledge and gaining biblical knowledge and wisdom is to grow closer to God and understand uh, His His will 
and how we can have fellowship with him. The goal of acquiring knowledge and wisdom is is to live better, but again, that's not an end, end in and of itself. It's to live better for God and live a more fruitful life for God. And again, that's what the eventual conclusion is, right? Ecclesiastes 12, 13, right? The whole duty of man, fear God, keep his, keep his commandments. But for now, before we get there, he's looking back over his years, he's reflecting, and he wants to impress upon us uh, uh, again, his his unique position and in, in the world to see these things, and of course, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, but he also wants to impress upon us the futility of pursuing pleasure and possessions, wealth, and so on and so forth. He says, uh, for for instance, <clears throat> at the beginning of chapter two, in verse one, he says, "I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself." And he says, "Behold, this too was futility." In verse 2, he says, laughter became madness, and he saw that pleasure accomplished nothing. And as you go along, he he doesn't shy away from the details. You know, he sought to cheer himself up um, by drinking alcohol, acquiring property, verse 4, real estate, beautifying beautifying that real estate, uh, landscaping, verses 5 and 6, having slaves, Verse 8, some of them specifically for sex, uh, livestock, you know, uh, precious metals and gold and silver. Uh, he was wealthier than any king who came before him, right? So he's he doesn't pull any punches here. He really goes into detail about what he experienced and what he came to possess. And, and he says in verse 10, in summary, all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. And he he did find temporary physical satisfaction in what he had done and acquired. And he again, he's honest about that. But then he goes on to say, I considered all my activities, verse 11, I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. There was no profit under the sun. And so none of the things that he's just described as appealing as they might sound initially, especially to our flesh, and we might find ourselves thinking, man, what an amazing life, what a lucky guy, you know. But he, his conclusion is none of those things brought me any lasting uh, payoff, any, any permanent kind of satisfaction. He's frustrated. And he says in verse 17, I hated life. For the work which had been done under the sun, it was grievous to me because everything is futility and a striving after the wind. And so he had exercised his gift of wisdom to attain earthly treasures and possessions, and he was just disappointed. He was left disappointed and empty, despite all of that wealth and work. And he, if you look in verses 14 through 16, again, he comes back to that main theme. He knows he's going to die like everybody else, and he's going to be forgotten by the world. And furthermore, he knows when his time comes to depart this world, he has to leave everything to someone else who won't appreciate it and will likely squander it, verses 18 and 19. Right? And I can't help but think of Jesus' words in Luke chapter 20 and excuse me, Luke chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, where in that in that text he's describing that individual in the parable, remember the, the rich the rich man who had so much stuff, he had to tear down his barns and build bigger barns because he just ran out of room to store everything that he had. And 
he began to just to coast in life and think that he was going to have it easy for many years to come. And, and then God says to him, this is this very night is your last night on earth. Your soul is required of you. God calls him a fool for the attitude that he had. And, and Jesus says, this is what it's like. Don't be, don't be deceived. Even when you have an abundance, your life does not consist of your possessions. Don't store up treasures for yourself on earth, but store up treasure in heaven. So, you know, I, you know, I don't know if Jesus was thinking about Ecclesiastes chapter two when he was telling that parable, but you know, the point's the same that it was it was futile in the end from an earthly sense for that individual to just gain wealth for himself and for the sake of gaining wealth and and thinking that, well, I'll just I'll just coast, I'll have an early retirement and it's just gonna be easy. Um and I think Solomon is reminding us of the same thing here, that hoarding wealth just to be wealthy and pursuing pleasure with total abandon in hopes that this this will make life meaningful and satisfying it's only going to result in disappointment I, here and now i think ultimately um, if we're honest with ourselves and then certainly in in eternity as jesus is showing us in luke chapter 12 that that man ultimately was called a fool by god and if god calls you a fool at your death when it's time to depart this world, things aren't looking good for you in eternity. And so Solomon says in verse 18 and 20, I, I completely despaired of all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, and I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun. And so in a word, he was miserable, right? That's what we're talking about here. If I had to sum it up, I think that this is a guy who was just miserable as he thought about these things. And so all of this is so beautifully consistent with Jesus' teaching that, as he tells us, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think Solomon is coming to realize this at this point in his life in real time as we're observing you know, what he's saying in Ecclesiastes, that it's, that it's, and he'll, you know, again, as we move forward, we're going to see that it's, he's going to conclude it's better to be content. It's better to hold wealth with an open hand, find joy, not in things and not even in intellectual pursuits and wisdom for the sake of wisdom, but find joy in serving God and whatever you've been blessed with in this life, however you've been blessed physically, spiritually, be a good steward of those things and use it ultimately in the in the interest of uh, spiritual good and and for the Lord's will. Ecclesiastes two twenty four and twenty five says there is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God, for who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him? Think about that last question again, rhetorical. Who can eat and who can have enjoyment without Him? Right. So early on. He's beginning to, to point us in this, this direction. And Jesus, again, tells us, don't work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Ecclesiastes is such a wonderful book, I think often unfairly characterized as dark and gloomy. But it is a blessing because it's ultimately pointing us to Christ. It's part of that body of work which Paul says is a school teacher 
to lead us to to Jesus. So I look forward to studying it with you more in the coming weeks. Keep praying, keep reading the Word of God and drawing near to Him.